Hey, thanks so much for being here. This is My City Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you are inspired to love God, love people, and lead in life. Enjoy the message. Hey, well, good morning to My City. Who are you? How many of you excited for the Word of God this morning? Hey, I am too. I got like a fire burning in my soul this this morning, I was uh, up late at night. I could not fall asleep. And uh, I think it was, uh, I, I don't think I fell asleep till like 12.30 this morning. And uh, then I was like, I told my wife last night, I was like, I'm gonna go and help the guys load in. You know, I'm gonna go and, and help them load in. So shout out to all of our teams that show up here each and every week faithfully in and out. The teams, some of them get here at 4.50 every morning to set up all the music, the drums. This stuff just doesn't appear. The kids' area as well, everything out in the lobby, everything that you, when we, when we say church, you know, coming in, there is a whole team that sets that up each and every week. So I just want to take a moment to honor you and bless you guys. You know, we honestly couldn't, would not be the same church without you. So once again, let's put our hands together for all of our load-in teams, kids' teams, our worship team, our production road crew, everyone in between. Hey, we honor you guys and we thank you. And I also want to take a moment uh, this Memorial Day weekend. And uh, if you're in this place and you have lost a loved one uh, who has served before, uh, we want to take a moment as a church and we want to honor you. So if you've lost anyone in your life that served in the military, I want you to stand to your feet. We want to take a moment and we want to be able to honor you this morning. Right, right here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you. We don't take these freedoms that we have in the country for granted. One of the worst things we could do is to overlook the price that was paid uh, so that you have the freedom to gather here Sunday morning at church. It's not something that we should take lightly and we should never forget. So we honor you guys and thank you for your sacrifice and, and for all those that have sacrificed for the freedoms that we uh, enjoy today. Um, if you know uh, anyone that has lost anyone, maybe send someone a text this morning and uh, just thank them for their sacrifice. Um, as we jump into the Word today, how many of you guys brought your Bibles this morning? I got my Bible right here. Hey, come on, represent. If you brought your Bible, if you didn't bring your Bible, bring your Bible to church. It's the bread of God. It's the Word of life. The Bible says, give us this day our daily bread. If you're living week to week off the Word of God, you're going to live your life malnourished. It's important that you get into the Bible on a daily basis, on a daily basis. And we're, as we go into week three of our Certified Lover series, how many of you guys enjoying the series so far? Huh? Last week, we took a little bit of a caveat, you know, significance of the moment. I just felt like God was speaking to someone now word for the church. But two weeks ago, I was up here throwing around some underwear. If you weren't here, you know, maybe check out the podcast. You'll be able to check it out. I don't got any underwear for you today. But uh, we talked about underwear in the Bible. And really, it's this, it's this topic and theme of, of sex and holiness. And as I have been diving into Scripture and diving into what many theologians have said about this idea of sex and holiness, I'm really starting to land on a consensus of, of where all of this originates. Where does, where does a sense of unholiness come from? How does sex really play a part in, in our relationship to God? And next week, we're going to be talking a lot about, um, you know, our sexual desires as, as human beings and how do we really, like, use those to glorify God. But today, I'm going to try to do this word justice and share with you just really what I feel like is the core 
the core principle, what leads us to living an unholy life and to be controlled by our sexual desires. And I'm hoping that you'll be able to take away from this word so much more than what I'm saying and what's going in one ear and out the other, but maybe a heart that really says, God, I want to have and surrender all of my life over to you today. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I have the most notes I have ever written for a message on this iPad by like 50%. So God willing, we'll be able to get through this whole thing, but if the Holy Spirit wants to rest on a spot, then hey, we'll be up for that. And uh, Reeve, just come up on your normal time. But if I tell you to come up earlier, just come up earlier and, and go, go from there. So amen. Hey, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. We're going to have like two core scripture verses that I want to cover today, but we're going to jump back and forth today between Ephesians and James and just a little, a little bit of, of what we're sharing today. He says, but among you, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. This is Paul. He says, but among you, there must not be even a hint, say, even a hint, even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are all out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater. Say that word with me, idolater. One more time, say idolater. Idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Those are some pretty harsh words there. You know, for if any of you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater. And the next verse I want to share with you is out of James chapter 1, verse 13. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We're going to be diving into the Word today, so we're going to be going through a lot of Scripture. I encourage you to make sure that you're taking notes. Write down some of these Scriptures, and as you go throughout the week, take a moment to review them. Check my homework, or check my work and see if, if what we're sharing today is true. I kept getting this word, so if you have a, a cert in your heart to pray while I preach the message, I kept getting this word, veracity. Veracity, that the Holy Spirit kept saying, you're going to preach today with veracity, which is truth, true truth. Facts, not opinion, but facts. So I hope that you're ready to receive, and we're gonna talk about this title today, this thought. Write it down, say, you get what you want. You get what you want. I was going to say you get what you want, but then I was like, that's improper grammar and uh, look unprofessional up here. So uh, you get what you want. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your word is true, and we thank you that you're speaking to us even today. And so God, I pray that we'd be transformed into your image, your likeness. Help us not to go in one ear and out the other. God, but help us to leave here transformed. God, I thank you that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword to divide bone and marrow, it penetrates to our innermost being. So we say, have your way today, Father God. Those that are far from you, those that don't know you, those that are close to you, Father God, we pray, have your way. Speak to us today, this morning, God. We pray that you'd open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear you. And right now, church, op open up your hands and say these words after me. Say it like you're hungry. Say these words. Say, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. 
in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus this morning. Hey, come on. Come on. A little bit of a story I want to share with you. There's these two people. One guy is named Mike. Say Mike. And another person is named Mary. Say Mary. Mike and Mary. Mike's got the hots for Mary. Mike catches Mary from a distance and says, that girl I want to be my wife. So he goes out like any good man should do. If you have a woman that you want to get to know better, you should initiate and you should go and talk to her. Mike goes up to Mary, gets to talk to her. They go out on a date. They're really kicking it off. They're really enjoying time together. They do this for a year and they feel, they feel like Mike's like, man, I want this girl to be my wife. I'm going to pop the question. So he pops the question. He gets down on one knee. And she is just excited. She's ecstatic because she wants to be married to Mike as well. She does one of these, oh, my goodness. And she goes, yes. She says that question every man wants to hear. And the woman that gets the question every woman wants to hear. She says the answer to every man wants to hear. I said that wrong. You understood what I meant. So they're married now. They're married now, and life is going great. Not only is it going great, but Mike, think, Mike sees her as far above and beyond he could ever ask, think, hope, or even imagine. She's a great wife. She's artistic. She's funny. She cooks way better than him. All the men said amen. Amen. Unless you like to cook. There's only specialty things that I like to cook, you know, like steak. That's what I like to cook. So we find things are way better than he ever even anticipated. So here they are a year later. He comes home from work one day, and he can't find her. You know, he's used to getting that warm greeting, the kiss, the hug, and he can't find her. And so he steps into the kitchen, doesn't see her, and into the hallway, into the family room. He's peeking outside on the deck, doesn't see her. But then he goes into the room, and he sees her getting ready. She's putting on her makeup. She's slipping into a beautiful outfit. And he takes a step back, and he goes, man, did I forget something? Did I forget? Maybe is there an anniversary I forgot? Is there something that I space? Maybe we were going out on a date, and I was supposed to bring home flowers tonight. So as he steps back, he's like, well, too late now. So if I'm going to sleep on the couch, I might as well just go full force and just ask her the question. He goes back into the room, and he says, hey, Mary, did I forget something? By the way, you look beautiful today, but did I forget? Do we have something going on tonight? And she goes, oh, yeah, honey, I'm going out. He goes, oh, well, okay, so, I mean, do you want me to get ready too? And she asks this question back. She goes, you can if you want. He goes, well, if you're going to be looking like that, I mean, I can't just go in my work clothes. I got I to gotta dress up to some extent. And she, she says this back to him. She kind of gets on. She kind of starts figuring out what he's asking. And she says these questions like, Mike, I'm not going out with you tonight. I'm going out with Jack. We're going to go to a movie, get dinner, and we'll go to the Holiday Inn later tonight. I'll be back tomorrow morning. Could you imagine Mike's response? Who's Jack? Who's Jack? Oh, she responds, he's my high school boyfriend. We used to date before I, talked to, before I met you. And so here Mike is in this, in this complex situation where he has his, his wife who has seen another man. And he's saying, we're married now. You don't, we don't do this anymore. And so here Mary is thinking, wait, you know that you're my favorite. You know that I'm with you like 99% of the time. You can't expect me 
to say no to all my past boyfriends and all my relationships. Yeah, I know we're married, but to be honest, I'm with you most of the time. You know that I love you. You know that you're my favorite. He says, you're my favorite, but you can't really expect me not to go out with them anymore. I still love them and want to spend time with them. I want to ask you some very practical questions for you to, you to, you to think through. Isn't Mike her favorite? Doesn't she love him more than the others? Doesn't she spend the most time with him? He could have married some other girl, some slob, or some person that didn't really care about the relationship, but she's pretty well devoted to him. All he needed to do was just share her with other men, and he gets her 90% of the time. What's the big deal? What I found out is that Mary was never informed on the basics of marriage. That marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. When she wears that white gown and goes down the aisle, she is making a commitment, a choice to be solely devoted to him. And the man on the other end of the aisle is saying the same thing, forsaking all others, forsaking all others. Now I ask you the question, would you marry your spouse if you knew that they did not agree to these terms? Would you pledge your life to someone who is not also fully pledged and committed to you? Let me ask you at the question, ask a question. Would Jesus come back for a bride who is as committed like Mary? Would Jesus come back for his bride, which is his church, that is taking the commitment like Mary is in her relationship with Mike? We pull up Ephesians 5.31. So this is shortly after he talks about there should be no sense of sexual immorality. Ephesians 5.31 reads this. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul says in verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Christ in the church. So the Bible is constantly referring to this unification of Christ in the church as a groom and a bride. A groom and a bride. And then we go on just a little bit further and we talk about how adultery against God by an unbeliever is actually impossible because they've never committed themselves to God. The only way a person can commit adultery against God is if they have entered into a commitment with God. We pick up in James chapter 4 verse 3. Through four, it says this, and even when you ask, you do not get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what gives you pleasure. He says this word in verse four, he says, you adulterers. Other translations say, you adulteresses. The NIV translated this into adulterers because they didn't understand the feminine noun of adulteresses. He's speaking to the whole church. He's not just speaking to men. He's not just speaking to women. But the root word is actually a feminine noun that says adulteresses. And James is writing to the church. He says, you adulteresses, because we, as a church, are considered the bride of Christ. I know some men in here, this was pretty hard for me to get my head wrapped around. It's like, you know, I'm the bride. It's kind of weird to think about that. But when you think about the church as a whole, we are the bride. God is the groom. James says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Of God. James 4, verse 7 says, So humble yourself before God. So you humble yourself before God first. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We talk about this all the time when it comes to temptation, when it comes to uh, different types of, of, of desires within our hearts. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will free, flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. 
Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty, your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Two weeks I talked about the underwear in the Bible. And I laid the foundation that at the core of who we are, we are all actually priests. And we were made to worship something. I talked about that God ultimately desired that we would all be priests before God, but man said no, and then that's where God selected Aaron and the Levites to come before him only. But God ultimately desires me. He desires you. We are all called to be worshipers of God. Can I tell you that we are all worshipers of something? We are worshipers of something. We can either be worshipers of God or we can be worshipers of the world. We can be people that are fully devoted to God or we can be fully devoted to the world. You name it, whatever it may be, we can be worshipers of our own ideological preferences. We can be worshipers of, of our government, thinking government has all the answers and all the solutions to every single problem we ever face. We can be worshipers of our own personal rights. Now, this may be heretical to say in the United States, and I value our rights. People have died for our rights. It enables us to be able to worship God freely like we're able to. But what I found is that maybe sometimes our own personal choices and our own personal decisions can be something that we worship and we pursue ahead of Christ. So you name it. We are all worshipers of something, a political apartment, a political party, our own baseball teams. We can be worshipers of our rights to bear arms, rights to freedom of speech, rights to have choice, our love to think and grow rich and buy whatever we like. We can be worshipers of our greed, our own desires, our own sexual desires. And what you are seeing right now is the climax of self-centered desires. This is what we're seeing right now in society today. Self-centeredness that we are warned about. Now, this is a very short verse that I want to share with you today. Remember last week, or two weeks ago, in Underwear in the Bible, we closed out that if anyone is a vessel of noble use, he is called to cleanse himself. You guys remember that verse? Raise your hand if you remember that verse. You're called to cleanse yourself. If you desire to be a vessel of noble use, you are to cleanse yourself. Shortly after that, Paul says this in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He says, but mark this. So this is right after he says, if you discover yourself as a vessel of unnoble use, Cleanse yourself. And now he's talking about after you cleanse yourself, be aware that this is going to happen. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. All my parents in here said amen. Amen. Well, that was weak sauce. All my parents in here said amen. Amen. Oh, I, I don't know what that last verse was, but... That's all right. Abuseful to their, uh, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, ungrateful, ungrateful for all the things God has done for them, is doing for them. They are ungrateful. They have, a, they have a tough time remembering God's faithfulness. They have a tough time remembering how good God is. Unholy, next verse. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash. I know this is an extensive, exhaustive list that Paul's writing here, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He kind of sums it all up right there at the end. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying his power have nothing to do with such people. Have nothing to do with such people. We go back to the story of Mike and Mary that I shared at the beginning. That she would commit adultery ultimately because her idol 
was her own desire. Not of Mike's, but of her own. Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, he says, no hint of sexual immorality, because sexual immorality is closely related to idolatry before God. You commit yourself to someone, and part of you is tied together with that person. So no matter who you've had sexual relationships, it's the two shall become one flesh. And that is what we call a soul tie. There's a part where people that you have slept with, there's actually a part of you that goes with them. There's a connection. Now there's good soul ties, but there's also bad soul ties. We'll be talking more about this, about this next week. He says no hint of sexual immorality. No hint because a hint, a hint implies selfish desire. Now, adultery happens when our desires outweigh our desire to follow God. We then make a God in our own image and serve created things rather than the creator. Two weeks ago, we talked about that, how they serve created things rather than the creator. And that is idolatry. The church is the bride of Christ. And when we choose the, word over, the world over God, we actually commit adultery through idolatry. So our own worship becomes that of what we want, our own desires. Are you tracking with me here? So the Bible talks about how we are the bride of Christ. So when we go and have a quote-unquote affair with the world, we are committing adultery against God because of the idol of our own desires that we have created within our hearts. Are you tracking with me here? All right, now let's go into this. What is behind, what is behind idolatry? That's a good question to understand. What is behind this thing, idolatry? Idolatry, this isn't like an Old Testament thing where you're just thinking of graven image. Now, that does have a part to do it, but can I tell you, we make images in our heart all the time. We make desires in our heart all the time. See, God's law, though, also is written on the hearts of man. So everyone knows instinctively God's ways. We know this because it's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. But I, I want to go into a little bit of a history lesson for a moment and talk about how Israel committed idolatry before God right outside Mount Sinai. You guys want to go into that story? Huh? Let's go. Let's go. It's in Exodus chapter 32, verse 4. Moses is up on Mount Sinai, you know, meeting with God. God's doing the whole finger writing on the stone type thing. And he's up there for some time. It's around 40 days He's up there for. So all the people are starting to wonder where Moses is at. And so naturally they go to the second person in charge, which was Aaron at the moment. And they say, Aaron, we don't know what's become of Moses. So this is what we want you to do. Make us a God that we can see, that we can serve. And so Moses, Aaron listens to the people and he says, hey, get all your jewelry together. Let's melt it all together and let's make a golden calf. And we pick up in uh, Exodus chapter 32, verse 4. It says, he took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, then they said, these are your gods, Israel. This word gods is the word Elohim. These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, I don't know, I don't care who you are. If you're not even five weeks removed from Egypt, you know this little golden calf did not bring us out of Egypt, right? But we always want to worship something that we can see, that we can feel fulfillment from. But get the mixture here that happens in, the, in these two verses. They talk about the gods whom you want to serve, this Elohim, which is another word for gods, but also the one true God, the one true deity. And he mixes the two. 
When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord with this golden calf. This is the word Jehovah. This is the name of the Lord. So what we have right now is Israel is mixing the two. And it's saying, it's okay. I mean, I'm fully devoted to God. I'm going to do this, this thing outside of God's will, but devoted to God. And that makes it okay. This is, this is a clear reference of idolatry while still serving the Lord. While still wanting to serve the Lord, quote unquote, wanting to serve the Lord. Now, I want to put it in perspective that these were the people of God who God delivered from Egypt. They saw great and mighty things done by the Lord, yet they returned to their old gods. And write this down today. You will return to your old gods, the things that you find pleasure in, because you will always have the choice to go back to what you knew. That's something that you need. That's imperative that you take home today. You will always have the choice. You will never graduate from this. You will always have the choice to go back to what you knew. Whatever that may be, whether it be any of the things that Paul mentions, the greed, the lust, the, the sexual immorality, the selfish ambition, whatever he talks about, you will always have the choice to go back to what you knew. God will let you. They encountered God. And what I find is that we go around and say, man, if I just saw and knew that God was real, I'd never turn my back on him. I mean, how, who said that? Am I the only one? I've said that before. If I just knew God was real, I would never sin again. I would never do anything bad, never have another bad, because I know that God's real. If God just showed up and whong, there's Gabriel, there's Jesus, and he's just saying, hey, I am he. I'm never going to turn my back. But here Israel is. They encountered God, yet they turned their back on God. But what this shows is the propensities that are woven within the hearts of man to pursue their own desires rather than worship God. The propensities hidden within the hearts of man and we're made to worship something and whatever you want to worship, God will let you get what you want. You get what you want. God will let you get what you want. We pick up in Romans chapter 1, Verse 21, now I'm going to read out the Amplified, so it's going to be a little bit wordy, but I feel like it, it greatly describes this heart of, of man. For even though they knew God as the creator, they did not honor him as God or give thanks for his wondrous creation. On the contrary, they became worthless in their thinking, godless with pointless reasonings and silly speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Claiming to be wise, we see this all throughout the world right now, they became fools and exchanged the glory and majesty and excellence of the mortal God for an image, worthless idols in the shape of mortal man and birds and four-footed animals and reptiles. Therefore, because it was in their heart to do what they wanted, because it was in their heart to do what they wanted, God gave them over in the lust of their own hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, abandoning them to the degrading power of sin. Abandoning them to the degrading power of sin. Because of what was in their heart, God gave them over to it. God let them because you'd get what you want. Because by choice, by choice, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So I ask this question again. What is behind idolatry? What is behind idolatry? It's selfish desire. 
my will be done. My will be done. It's a believer's idolatry as well. That as believers, we can carry this heart. In Colossians 3, 5, Paul is writing to the church. He says these words. He says, so put to death and deprive of power the evil longings of your earthly body with its sensual, self-centered instincts, immorality, impurity, sinful passion, evil desire, and greed. Here's that word again. We talked about this a little bit. And greed, which is a kind of idolatry because it replaces your devotion to God. Now, it may feel like we're going on some rabbit trails here, but it's actually, this is all encompassing. And if you bear with me, this will all come back to it. So the root of idolatry for the, idolatry for the church is idolatry. Self-seeking behavior, making a God in your own image. And I want you to write this down, that as believers, what is driving us to commit idolatry against God is our own selfish desires. And so we have to learn how to be content with what God has given us. Write this down. Contentment drives us to God. Covetousness drives us away from God. Contentment with Mike, but covetousness and what I want will drive us away from God. Contentment drives us to God. Covetousness drives us away from God. Hebrews 13.5 kind of brings us into a little bit more clarity. It talks about marriage. It's talking about marriage, and then it talks about contentment. It says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So it's a contentment knowing that God has all that I need. I don't have to go out and try to find it. I don't have to hustle and bustle and work my way and scheme around to make things happen in my own life, because I'm content. And ultimately, I trust God. Can I tell you that David never blamed God for the place that he was in? Nor did he covet the palace. David remained content. And he didn't even kill Saul, even when he was given the perfect opportunity. Because he wouldn't cut corners to get what he wanted. He was content and trusted God. It was only when he converted and he coveted Bathsheba that he sinned against the Lord. And it led him to then murder her husband, Uriah. That's a crazy story. It's like something that you would see on daytime television. And the murderer is, is, is David, the man whom you slept with, killed your husband. Write this down today, that being content enables you to receive from God. God's deliverance and provision will always come, but not before the opportunity presents itself to defy his word. His deliverance when it comes to sexual sin, idolatry, idolatry, will always come, but not before the opportunity presents itself to defy his word. I'm only like halfway through, but maybe the keys are supposed to be up. Let's see, let's see, let's see what God does. All right, God help me. Where do you wanna stop? So Jesus was tempted, right? Because God's deliverance will always come, but not before there's an opportunity that presents itself to define, to defy his word. So Jesus was tempted three times after 40 days of fasting, and then the angels ministered to him because he was content. Well, don't you need to eat, Jesus? Make bread. No, I'm good. 
Well, you can make it out of these rocks. No, I'm good. You can have all these kingdoms. No, I'm good. Because I know who my father is. So, so take this home today. That lack of being content causes you to look for fulfillment outside of God. When you're not content, you actually look for fulfillment outside of God. We know James 3.16, not John 3.16, but James 3.16 says, where you have envy and selfish ambition. Envy and selfish ambition. Greed, my own desires, what I want, what I need right now, there you find disorder in every evil practice. In Genesis 3.6, we read that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, to her own eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. The Bible says that no matter how much you want, the eye of a man is never satisfied. No matter how much you're trying to get out of your own, you will always end up empty. Now, we're called not to look for fulfillment in sin, but to turn from sin because sin is ultimately crouching at your doorstep. Just one chapter later in Genesis 4, 7, God is talking to Cain. Cain's all upset because God's not approved of his sacrifice, which if you do, you'll find out why God's not approved of it because he's going about it the wrong way. And God says to him, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Not what you want. Not what you want. You have got to rule over it. Because Proverbs 14, 12 says that there is a, a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. There's two different parts where it says that. Proverbs 14, 12 and 16, 25. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, is saying this. There's a way that seems right in your own eyes, but in the way it leads to death. Write this down. This is, what I, this is, like, the, this is like the meat right here of the message. And then we transition and we kind of talk about how we can rule over sin. Write this down. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. Keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. It's not something that you should play around with. It's not something that you should, well, it's just one night, Mike. Well, God, I just kind of like to dibby-dally and whatever that means into this little stuff here. But you know I go to church. You know, like I pray every once in a while, I read my Bible. Sin will continually be crouching at your door and you must rule over it. How do we rule over sin? I'm here to help you today. How do we rule over sin? 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says that the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is in the law. The law that says you shall not. You shall not. When you go and you go to something and, and you have the opportunity to sin, our natural response is, I shouldn't. I shouldn't watch that movie. I shouldn't look at that woman wearing all the tight clothes. I shouldn't. You ask questions like, should I tithe? So about things that God has clearly written in his law, now you're asking questions, but you're also forbidding yourself by saying the words, I shouldn't. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do that. And I want to be able to unpack this here, that the law is their restriction when they say that. It's a restriction given by the word of God rather than their delight. 
I can't do that. Not saying, far be it for me to do something that's against God's will. My delight is in the law of the Lord, not something that I despise. Because what we're talking about is a heart. Psalm 40 verse 8 says, I desire to do your will, my God. Not that I can't, I'm not allowed to. But he says, I desire. Your law is within my heart. It's within my heart. It's what I want. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Our Father was in heaven, holy is your name. Your will be done. If you desire to do something against God's will, can I tell you that he will let you do what you want? He'll let you do what you want. And I want to just share a, a quick story as, as fast as I can about the story of Balaam. Remember, uh, two weeks ago, I talked about how God spoke through the mouth of a donkey and that God will rebuke you through a donkey if you continue to do things that are contrary to his word. Well, I, I want to dive into that just a little bit. Israel is going into the promised land, and one of the kings of the promised land wants to get a hold of Balaam. Balaam is a prophet, and he knows that what he curses is cursed, what he blesses is blessed. And so this king goes up to Balaam, the, the, the prophet or the sorcerer. He wasn't exactly a man of God, but he could hear God. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. And so the king goes up to him and offers him a bribe and said, come with me and curse Israel because I know what you curse is curse and what you bless is blessed. And we pick up in Numbers chapter 22, verse 8. Balaam says, spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I'll report back to you what the answer of the Lord has given me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? So now God's talking to Balaam. Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to fight them and drive them away. So he's basically explaining to God what's going on. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. God said no. I would like to, but God says otherwise. God refused. Can I tell you that there are some things that we do not need to pray about? There are some things that we do not need to ask God about. We do not need to pray about gathering together at church. We don't need to pray, I don't know, should I give, should I tithe? We don't need to pray about that. We don't need to pray about being a part of a group. Because the Bible says do not forsake the gathering together. If you're isolated, the devil will tear you apart. I'm on, like, that's how the devil gets. He just, we'll just go to Sunday and I'm going to miss a few Sundays. I don't even know if I, that church thing is for me. You don't need to pray about some things. You don't need to pray about, should I serve? If you want to find life, sometimes you got to lose it. Can I tell you, God has given you a unique gift to bless his house? And when every part fits and fills its part in the body, we actually have a body. Some parts aren't getting overused. If you can imagine how hard it would be for, for me to walk if my ankles didn't move, you know, my, my knees would start to hurt. My back would start to hurt. So there's some things that we just don't need to pray about. But Balaam says, God has refused to let me go with you. 
It's like a little girl who goes up to her parents, Mom, Dad, so-and-so says we're going to go to a movie tonight. I want to go with them. Well, what's the movie? Well, it's like this PG-13 thing. It's got a few scenes, but it's all right. I'll just close my eyes. Mom and Dad say, no, I don't want you going to the movie. Friends come to pick up the girl and says, hey, let's go to the movie. She says these words, I can't. Mom and Dad said no. Her restriction was based off of a rule, and she didn't understand what her parents were keeping her from. She says, I can't go. It was based off of restriction rather than delight. And write this down, choices based off restriction will never deal with the heart. A choice you made based off restriction will never deal with the heart. Let's go back, James 1.13, or, or 114, my, my apologies. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away, how? By their own evil desires, what they want to do and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. God's not tempting you. Can I tell you that demons have studied your life? They've studied your father, your mother, and they know your weaknesses. Balaam's weakness was for profit. We know this because Peter talks about it. King Balak, though, came back to him with a better offer. He said, what if I give you more money? Will you then do what I asked you to do? Will that change God's mind? God did not tell them to hold out for a better deal. He said, do not go with them. God said, don't go with them. God's will was made clear. But then we find Balaam in Numbers chapter 22, verse 20. That night, Balaam comes and he asks God again. That night, God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them. But do whatever I tell you. Was God influenced by the amount of money? Was there something in God's, well, I'm glad that Balaam held out. Well, though the wicked stored up for the righteous, I'm glad that Balaam held out for a better offer. God says, go with them. Have you ever known what God was saying, but asked again to try to get a different response? Man, he had just enough knowledge to know how to get away with what he ultimately wanted in his heart. Next, next, next verse, so Balaam, Balaam gets up. He got up in the morning saddled his donkey and went away with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry with him when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Why was God angry? Balaam did what God told him to do. Can I tell you that if we really desire and covet something and God has communicated the matter in his word or has spoken to you through prayer, but it is still our desire, you will get what you want but you will be judged for it. You will get what you want. How do we know this? Israel asked for a king. God says, you don't want a king. Man, I just feel Holy Spirit on that. God goes, you don't want a king because he's gonna take your sons to fight off in wars. He's gonna take your, your daughters to go serve and work the land. He's gonna take all your money, all your, a lot of your produce, a lot of your cattle, and a lot of, you don't want a king. Israel asks again, we want a king. So Samuel goes back, God, they want a king. God said, all right, they want a king, they got their king. Israel was complaining about manna in the desert. They grew tired of the bread and they wanted meat. So God rained down meat and they ate. And we find this recap in Psalm chapter 20, or 78, verse 29. It says, so they ate and were filled for he gave them their own desire. He gave them what they wanted. They were not deprived of their craving. But while their food was still in their mouths, the wrath of God came against them. And they slew the status of them and struck down the choice men of Israel. 
I tell you, God will give you what you want. Israel was not content. Their lack of contentment drove them to sin against the Lord. Another story of God giving you what you want. The father gave money to the prodigal son, knowing that he wasn't able to handle it. He knew he couldn't handle the wealth, but gave it to him anyways. And we started in Ephesians chapter 5, verse, verse 3. And I want to just continue on in that thought. Where Paul's talking in Ephesians chapter 5, where there shouldn't be any hint of sexual morality. And this is what I want to, I want to close with, and you can stand to your feet. I hope this is, is speaking to you, that, that ultimately God will give you what you want. Ephesians 5, verse 8, he's talking about us. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And what's that say? Find out what pleases the Lord. Can I tell you that we are called to find out what pleases the Lord? Not our own desire, but what pleases God. Not my will. Not my will. Verse 11, it says, Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And this is how it finishes up this thought. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I am called to be content with what God has given me. I'm not trying to get my own desires, my own way. I know that in my hardest of hearts, my cry is, and my hope is that your cry will also be the same, that not what your will be done, but we switch to, no, your will be done. Not my own desires and my needs and my greeds and my wants. God can make anything happen in a day. God could do more in a day than you can do in an entire life. Well, God, I'm tired of being single my whole life. I just want to be married. God, just let me be married. And God say, no, be content. What I found is that God usually shows up. God usually shows up when you fully surrender it over to God. God usually shows up when you're like, you know what, God? I don't think I need to, to take that job. Or God, you know what? I don't think I need to, to move over there. Or God, I don't think I need to see that person. Because if I'm trying to make something happen, God, ultimately I trust you in your timing. Like, God, I trust you. Not my will be done. Well, I just want to go see Jack. Mike says, but what about me? If we are going to be a church that does not fall into idolatry through idolatry, we have half to die to ourselves our own desires, our own wants, greeds, selfish ambitions, our own immorality, because that is the root of all kinds of different types of evil. And so I want to take a moment. If you're in this place right now, and you're saying, Pastor Eli, that's me. That's me. I want to be able to lay my things aside fully to follow God. 
This may sound a little different because we don't really do this in church, but I think it's important to take a moment between you and God today and to just come down to the front. Just come down to the front. You can stand right up here with all, you can crowd in all the way at the ends there. And you can just say, God, I want to give it all to you. I want to give it all to you. If you're in this place, you're saying, God, I want to die to my own desires. Come on up to the front. Let's go back into worship here. Thank you so much for listening today. And we want to give a special thank you to those that give so generously to My City Church. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you would like to give today, please hit the link in the description or go to our website at mycitychurch.cc forward slash give. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it on all of your social media. We love you so much. We'll see you next week. God bless.